Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm reviews editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week, we are trying to stay safe from the coronavirus because, uh, believe it or not, that's actually a tech story. It's not quite a global pandemic yet, but it is getting there and it's affecting so many corners of the tech world. So we're going to dive into that. And for something a bit more hopeful, at the end of this episode, I also interviewed Anne Dryan, the co-creator of Cosmos and Carl Sagan's widow, about the upcoming third season of the Cosmos reboot. It is really worth a listen. As always, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and drop us a review because that lets us know you're actually digging the show and tell your friends. So let's talk about the coronavirus and how exactly this is a tech story. And I think specifically it's because this thing originated in the Wuhan region of China. China right now is a hub. It's a hub for most of our tech products, uh, a lot of components. A lot of devices get built there, and everything in the region um, is all pretty much connected to our digital lives. Is that fair, Sherlyn? I think it's fair to say that a lot of components of things we use today are made in China, right? Like chips or, you know, plastic cases, frames, a lot of things just come from there. And, uh, you know, now people are just like, no, we're not going to buy stuff from China because who knows what germs might still be lingering on the surface. Well, there's that and also the actual manufacturing capabilities, like the people at, yeah, people can't work. Um, Wuhan is currently locked down. People cannot leave their homes. They cannot leave the city. This is also something that's facing the rest of the manufacturing areas of China. So I'm sure Shenzhen is operating at a very different level now than they were before. I mean, and the problem with this, and I think we should address it right up front, is that like it causes a lot of potential racism. People are like, oh, you're Chinese. You must be, you know somehow infected and i think that's one of the things we're seeing across the board um it's hard to it's hard to kind of take it away from like um china when the name used to just be like the wuhan virus where like that's that's really bad and i'm glad that as a whole everyone's using the proper terminology now um but it is true you're right that most of the cases are from china from the wuhan region from from there and it's hard to extricate like rational and and emotion but yeah i mean oof 
Of course, as soon as there is a major virus infecting the globe, uh, yeah, humanity goes straight to racism. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sorry for, yeah, that I mean, everything is at this point. But let's talk about tech, yes. I guess, like, and specifically how this is affecting things. What have you seen, Sherlyn? Because I know you talk to a lot of um, companies and folks based in China. Um, we're always working with companies who are manufacturing and mm-hmm. doing things there, too. And it's not just the devices themselves. Like, uh, we've also seen a ton of events already been canceled. You yep. didn't get to go to Mobile World Congress because <laughs> that that kind of fell apart. Right now, it is uh, March 5th, and I still don't know if I'm going to South by Southwest a week from now. It's uh, it's all kind of a mess. The Google I.O. conference isn't happening this year. I can certainly imagine that Microsoft Build, which usually happens in Seattle in May, mm-hmm. will not happen because Seattle's a bit of a, the hot spot right now of U.S. infections. So... This is affecting the entire economy and also, you know, not not to just focus on tech, but, you know, it's changing the way people are living right now, too. There is a big push um, from lots of companies to work from home when you can. People just just wash your hands and stay sanitary. That's I the will, big thing. I will say, I mean, to the question you were asking me, like how else this embargo on China and like, you know, not working with people who are traveling from China. And so how has that Mm -hmm. affected us? I mean, like I was recently at a briefing that was supposed to um, show us stuff from MWC if we had gone. But, you know, they had come to uh, New York instead. And yeah, they just couldn't show us the prototype because it was in China and they had literally no one has any access to that country anymore. Um, So there's other ways you wouldn't have imagined necessarily that this would actually impact you. I mean, I think that if you, for example, run like something on your phone breaks or something, you want to look for a replacement part. Those are probably not in dire short supply right now. But if this continues for a lot longer, mm-hmm. you it will get harder. There were reports about Apple store employees getting notifications, basically, that uh, full replacement phones, if you've destroyed your iPhone... It may be a couple weeks before you get that. Um, but, yeah, that's those are, I think, the, the minor inconveniences yes. that a lot of us are dealing with. And, yeah, maybe some products get delayed. I'm more concerned with how we're approaching this as a society. Yep. Sherlyn, what is the current status? So as of the time we're recording this episode, we have 11 deaths in the U.S. Worldwide, there have been at least 3,286 deaths linked to the virus. We're not sure yet because, again, with reporting and with, like, testing – we can't be 100% sure. The bright side, I guess, is that 53,000 individuals have recovered from the disease. Mm-hmm. And we've heard of like over 94,000 infections being reported globally. So this is like huge. Yeah, it's spreading really quickly. The actual mortality rate is not as high as SARS or MERS. But I, the fact that it is spreading so quickly is certainly worrying. Uh, I believe the last time we talked about this, uh, the CD said it was around 2%. Last I heard from them, it was edging closer to like three and a half percent. Yeah. And just last week when we we were recording uh, last week's episode, we were like, oh, I mean, it was not in the U.S. yet. And now it's just kind of exploded, mm-hmm. uh, you know, here. So oof, that speed, which is it's traveling, it's definitely beyond what mm-hmm. I imagined. I just hope, um, you know, these preventative measures actually help slow this thing down for a bit because, uh I, I do a lot of things that involve a lot of people. Uh, beyond just tech conferences, I go to a lot of movies. And the movie, the big movie season is coming up. Uh, yesterday, the producers behind the next James Bond movie, No Time to Die, announced that thing is getting pushed to November. Because so, of this? Because or? of this. Oh. Because of this. And also, that's a big franchise. And they wouldn't have been able to open the movie in China when yeah. it premiered. So they would have lost this that is, money. 
Yeah, this this is the sort of thing that's infecting so many aspects of our society, not just the gadgets in your hand, but also the way we're consuming information. One thing that I really noticed um, this time around is it does seem like social networks are trying to help stop a lot of disinformation around this. And specifically, I'm going to throw a shout out to Facebook, which has a big box uh, dedicated to the CDC, at least here in the U.S., right in the newsfeed, right between all the inane updates from your friends and family that you don't want to talk to mm-hmm. is, yeah, a link to the CDC. They are deleting false claims and conspiracy theories flagged by health organizations. They're blocking ads for products that claim to cure coronavirus, which is, uh, that's, that's interesting. An- and anything else exploitative. One weird thing about what Facebook is doing, they're also using anonymized data to track the spread of the disease. So that is, it's a bit of a give and take from Facebook. You know, they can't be too uh, altruistic without using our data in weird ways. How would they be doing that? I don't understand. I don't know what they're doing. There was a blog post from Mark Zuckerberg earlier this week, and he mentioned it is one thing. If, you know, if posts within a social network can help to track something like this, like, it could be useful, but... Yeah, this is the sort of thing where Facebook can do a lot of stuff with your data that you're not quite sure about. One other thing worth mentioning, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, the nonprofit he's running with his wife, also worked together with the Gates Foundation to finance researchers who fully sequenced the virus in a few days, something that would have taken weeks, uh, potentially Mm -hmm. even months without that amount of funding. So there's a lot going on. Um, I've seen warnings on YouTube. Uh, One interesting thing is I've been browsing around a couple of YouTube videos, and I searched... uh, coronavirus 2019 and one of the first videos was a from the news the chinese news agency Mm. right below that video youtube said this source was funded either entirely or in part by the chinese government Mm. so that is the sort of thing where even youtube is saying like hey just watch out about what you're seeing here that was just on the web view i'm not sure if i'm looking at news on apple tv or something if youtube could do that but it is certainly interesting. It and, is interesting to yeah, see. I Twitter noticed, is also doing something int- like like this yeah. to block this information. I mean, I've noticed Reddit also has that box, like you mentioned on Facebook's news feed, that, mm-hmm. that directs you to our coronavirus. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know what Reddit specifically is doing to combat misinformation, but it is drawing people's attention to that. One thing I'll say, I was looking at... The New York Times is like daily coronavirus update, yeah. and I ran out of free articles, so... Hey, Sherlyn, maybe you should maybe pay, I should pay for journalists. So the, I mean, I, 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 it was nice to look at our coronavirus, I guess, for as a source of information. Depending on what social media outlet you use the most, I yeah. don't use Facebook. Just be anymore. careful about getting too much news on too Reddit. Much, that yeah. that road does lead to bad situations, as we've learned over and the past few be years. Be aware about the sources of information yeah. you're relying on. What you know, what is a bad source of information in general for me? It's usually my mom. And uh, she's always sending me random links on WhatsApp. We we know this. This thanks is like I feel WhatsApp. like thanks to WhatsApp. I feel like this which is, is owned by Facebook. We should not <laughs> yeah. uh, avoid pointing that out. We, yeah. yeah, it is yeah. owned by Facebook. I don't know if Facebook is controlling misinformation spread through WhatsApp yet. We really also should do a Sherlyn's weekly WhatsApp corner. <laughs> but one of the things that was being reported as this broke was that apparently WhatsApp was um, enabling the spread of coronavirus, uh, coronavirus conspiracy theories and false, you know, supposed cures that you were talking about, like on Facebook, but. Because WhatsApp is not as public a platform, I guess, as Facebook might be, or I don't know the amount of control uh, that WhatsApp has, 
it just spreads much more easily, uh, especially in countries that rely on WhatsApp for things. Like Singapore actually does. The Singapore government sends mm-hmm. WhatsApp alerts to citizens and you know people residing in Singapore. Um, what's going on? What the daily updates are with the coronavirus thing, and it is that's good. But then the sources of misinformation on WhatsApp is just so yeah. much harder to detect and and cut down. And WhatsApp is also something. Was it there was that great Washington Post? article about the conspiracy theories and WhatsApp is something being used throughout Africa and throughout a India. lot of other countries. Yeah. 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 I mean, we are seeing that, you know, it's keeping us more informed. You know, these like hand washing. <laughs> God, the hand washing videos. We are I seeing a lot of hand washing. The hand washing videos, <laughs> especially the Vietnamese hand washing video, which has become a TikTok meme. Oh, Jesus. I don't even. Okay. It sounded like a K-pop song. The video is not great because the video is um, is just a bunch of TikTok kids whole, touching their faces. Yes. Touching their faces and, you know, doing a lot of dance moves that involve putting their hands near their faces. Yep. Pro tip, listeners, the least you could do throughout this whole thing is wash your damn hands. Don't touch your face. Just be really careful. Don't do what these kids did. Don't touch your face until you've washed it hard or, like, sanitized it. <laughs> well, but, no, after you've sanitized your hands, yeah. Yeah. The thing about this uh, TikTok video is that it reminded me of when Singapore, we were going through SARS, and I was in Singapore when this happened. The Singapore government, I think, even, released a rap song about I would not call that rap. SARS. I would call that pop, question mark. <laughs> It was, yeah, so it was based off of a local uh, sitcom, a famous character from a local sitcom, and he raps slash sings a pun-ridden song. I mean, stay, come for the, come for the getting jiggy with it rip-off, but stay for the survivor puns. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Be safe, not sorry is one of them. Uh, anyway. I'm going to stop this right now. <laughs> Because Sherlyn's just getting too into the puns. I will say one thing that's interesting to me as a pop culture addict is seeing how societies deal with things like this, like major trauma. Over the past few weeks, Steven Soderbergh's movie Contagion has become mm. one of the most popular movies on iTunes and a lot of other platforms. I saw that movie, um, came out like a decade ago. Yep. It's fine. It's not, it honestly, not it's not that great, mm-hmm. um, but it does do a good job of like laying out how a major global pandemic could start and how it affects a lot of individual peoples. I do remember, was it Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> had her skull sawed open in that movie? Ooh. That is that is that movie. Ooh. It's pretty brutal. It's pretty crazy, but it's also very Soderbergh in a way. It's worth watching, but to me, it's just interesting to see how, as a culture, we tend to lean on our movies and TV and books and things like this. This is how we react. Like, after 9-11, like, we got a lot of, like, terrorist-related shows. Like, Mm. um, 24 was a show, and I've thought a lot about this, so let me just go on a little tangent here. But 24 (laughs) was a show that was ready to come out. Like, you know, that thing was scheduled for the fall of 2001. But right after the 9-11 attacks, like, that show just became such this weird 
cultural centerpiece for America and kind of responded to what was happening in the culture. So anyway, I'm looking not I guess I'm not looking forward to all the pandemic related uh, things we've been seeing. But I, yeah. I will say people are watching Contagion and I'm thinking about maybe watching it myself. I will say I <laughs> have been itching to watch World War Z. Don't say girl. itching. Don't say itching. Oh, good Lord. I've been feeling the urge to watch World War Z after this all happened. Also, World War Z is just a bad, bad movie. I know. Movie. It's, a, it's a bad it's movie. It's an it's enjoyable not even bad about, movie no, for me. No, it's not even enjoyable. It's, I mean, okay, regardless of our movie taste aside, I think it's not only interesting to see how people are reacting to a global crisis, but also that it's the information is just so easy to get now. We can immediately know this is what everyone's watching. Yay. Yeah. And I'm sure that will become more important as we're all trapped in our homes Ooh. for the next six months. Now, I don't want to say that tech will save us from this, but I think there are a lot of things we could mention, Sherlyn, that could be helpful through the tech industry that that could potentially help us deal with the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, I think I've seen a lot of discussion online about how there's a lot we can learn from how other countries have dealt with it. Italy's mm-hmm. shut schools down. I mean, one article I saw was like 10 lessons we can learn from Asia about what, how to you know, better handle something like that. And one of the things that it brings to the forefront is just governments being transparent with the rest of their nation. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think Singapore is like the shining beacon of the best thing to do, A, because it's got an easier job with such a small country, and B, the government is problematic in other ways. But... Just a, um, bit. Yeah. just a tiny bit. So I got into a Twitter discussion, shall we say, with a friend, and she she basically made that point of like, we should learn from Singapore. Look at this map; it's so good. It's got every single case, every single patient, and all their home addresses. And I was like, yeah. that's not good. Girl. That's not good. Um, I was like, look, I appreciate the amount of data and the transparency here, but they, but you know, it was not the Singapore government, but someone in Singapore came up with this website based off of data provided by the Singapore government that lets you drill down to the like street of every patient ever. Not great. That's that's an interesting use of tech and data um, and data visualization, but scary to me. I do think that though, once it started coming over to, to the United States, it felt like you know, information wasn't being shared as freely. I think the CDC has perhaps also, you know, like admitted that it could have done better a little bit in terms yeah. of being transparent. It certainly and- doesn't help that yet. Yeah, a lot of the CDC and the portions of the government that were supposed to help fight against pandemics had their budgets cut. So, Oof. yeah, they weren't prepared. Not and, at all. yeah. I mean, yeah. let's let's just like, I mean, for those don't, who don't really know what's up, like, according to uh, NPR, this article that I'm reading. Vice President Mike Pence is the one leading the government's coronavirus response. And no he, comment. He said um, Wednesday, which is yesterday, that there's about 2,500 testing kits that are being distributed around the country that would make a million tests available to hospitals that need it. So great. But that happened yesterday. And the first yeah. case popped up over the weekend, at least. And who knows how many have might have happened earlier, too, because we didn't have access to these testing kits. So... There's just a lot that people could have done in being better prepared. I also think that the way tech has helped so far is just enabling people to work from home. The people who have access to yeah. the infrastructure that allows working from home. And if you're lucky enough to have a job where you could still do your job to. working exactly. from home. Like this, I think like a lot of diseases and a lot of major disruptions in our global society, like the people who will be hurt the most are the people who can't. You can't, yeah, have this flexibility. So it it is certainly going to affect a lot of folks. I really worry about the people who can't 
have time off uh, mm-hmm. who can't yeah have, don't have sick, the sick days yeah. and, and then have to go in anyway and then have to commute and have to so telecommuting i think it w- is one of the ways like yeah. we are doing this better than in the past like so i don't know if I, the word survived is right here but i experienced the sars pe- like what is not a pandemic but i've experienced sars right in singapore like about i think 10 15 years ago and we were expected to stay home and still sort of work, but that wasn't really effective. <laughs> I was dialing up with like to the to the internet where it still made that burr, burr, burr sound. So I, literally, I did no homework, and the, the economy I think took a greater hit than I think now we might just because we're more prepared for something like this because we have all the technology at home. So you know, working from home, great if you have it and try to do it if your company allows it, and if you can't, like that's. We need to find better ways to serve people who can't, I think. Mm-hmm. So as you've been avoiding the coronavirus, <laughs> Sherlyn, what what are the things you've actually been able to see and touch lately? So I uh, just published an article about some more foldables. Hey, more foldable tablets and phones. That's the story I was alluding to earlier when I said that there was a prototype that was stuck in China. I was able to (laughs) see a dummy prototype instead of the real prototype of this phone that unrolls like a, you know how LG made a rollable OLED TV? This this company, TCL, made the phone version of it. Who wants that? It's like a scroll. No. I mean, look, we question. Let's make our devices less usable in their folded up positions. It's 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 basically like a imagine a scroll, right? You pull it open if you want a bigger screen, and you can let it go back when you don't need a big screen. I imagine scrolls from two thousand years ago. Yeah, that's when I imagine them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's problematic because like the act of pulling <laughs> apart a phone, it's more liable or more prone to breaking it because uh-huh. people are just like beasts. Um, then they also showed a device that folds twice. Like a letter, uh, so it's a ten-inch screen, three K resolution, folds twice to become a six point six five inch phone. How thick does it get when you Good. fold it twice? Uh, yeah, you know how the uh, Galaxy S twenty Ultra is a thick phone. Yeah. This thing is fat with a pH. Oh God, this thing is like you're not solving fat. any problems, people. No. Anyway, no. anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. I cannot wait until we get over our our obsession with folding devices and mm. make them more usable. <laughs> I've written up an editorial about the Xbox Series X, mm. and we last week we got some new specs from them. Uh, Microsoft confirmed it's going to have a 12 teraflop GPU. That's a big deal because it's more powerful than the vast majority of PC video cards out there. So mm. I just I kind of posited, will this console end up killing gaming PCs? In many ways, it could, it might. but in in a broader respect, probably not. If you want to send me some angry emails about how the Xbox Series X isn't going to kill gaming PCs, or maybe you think the PlayStation 5 has already beaten it because uh, that's how fanboy arguments work now, just shoot me a note at podcastandgadget.com. In other gaming news, it was the 20-year anniversary for the PlayStation 2 this past week. Mm -hmm. Check out some of our coverage. We've got some notes from readers about how they remember that beloved console, fond memories, and also Chris Nottis wrote up a great piece about the PlayStation 2 being her primary DVD player. And I think that was true for a lot of people. Yeah. I remember being in college, and that was that was the DVD player for most people. So brings back fond memories. I cannot believe it's been 20 years. Holy crap. Oh, my God. I'm not even going to ask Sherlyn where you were 20 years ago. What is good for you this week, Sherlyn? And I'm actually scared to ask because she has this weird look on her face. And I don't, that's never led to good outcomes in my life. (laughs) In my struggle to stay healthy, 
which is an ongoing struggle for me. I've been trying to look for healthier foods. Brussels sprouts is my pick for the week, y'all, because look, I don't like eating vegetables or I don't like eating raw vegetables. Americans or Westerners. I hope you're not eating raw Brussels sprouts. Not raw Brussels sprouts. (laughs) So, but Brussels sprouts are a easy to cook vegetable to like, you just toss, you cut some of them up in half and then you toss like salt and pepper and some olive oil, toss them on a sheet pan, put them in the oven. You describe every single vegetable. But I feel like some, I don't know, something about the way Brussels sprouts caramelize is is delicious. It's very good. I love, I love like burned Brussels sprouts. This is our Bon Appetit corner. Yeah. Um, you put those Brussels sprouts on like a cast iron pan, Ooh, let exactly. them get a little burned Saute and them. then stick it into mm-hmm, the oven. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. Exactly. They're an easy but delicious vegetable. I mean, I like <laughs> kale too, but I, don't, I, I feel like I need to like wilt them a little bit on the, sure. on the stove. And that's a lot more work than I want to do. Anyway, if you want to find <laughs> good you know, vegetable recipes, like, they're also high in omega-3. They're a rich source of fiber. There's a lot of good stuff in them. Yep. Eat healthier. I have a good uh, recipe for, uh, yeah, roasted Brussels sprouts with, like, sheet pan chicken, too. Like, all in the same Ooh, pan. So you get exactly. a, it's a good dinner. Exactly. Cook your food, folks. Learn to survive because, uh, yeah, you may not be able to get delivery very exactly. often for the next couple months. Yeah. We need to fend for ourselves, guys. What are you doing? This week, I've been diving into Cosmos Possible Worlds, the third season of the new series of Cosmos, a series that premiered in the 80s, co-created by Carl Sagan and Anne Dryan, oh, her that's wife. that's why I don't know what this is. That's why you don't know what it is. Okay. Charlene, go watch this <laughs> instead of World War Z. So this season of the show, and first of all, I love Cosmos because it is one of those things that was a formative science experience for me. I remember seeing the original show, um, you know, it was on reruns by that point in the 90s, but it was something that aired on PBS. It was so inspirational, and it talked about space and our relationship to the planet and who we are as a civilization. And I still think Carl Sagan is one of the few people who was able to make science approachable and interesting and deconstruct big ideas. And honestly, that's been a huge influence in my life in terms of how I've approached technology and big, complex technological problems. This season of Cosmos is just as hopeful and inspiring uh, as this series has always been. This season feels a little more urgent Hmm. in a way because we are starting to see the impacts of climate change in our world. Mm. Um, Australia spent much of last year on fire. We're seeing more fires along the west coast of the U.S. The fact that even something like coronavirus is able to come up and spread so easily People aren't going to relate this directly to climate change, but it is the sort of thing that we've started to expect. We're Environmental changes and, yeah. Breaking heat records, yeah. temperature records. So I get it. So this is a series that is just kind of taking a step back and I think making us think a little more about our relationship with the planet, how we've started civilizations, and honestly, what is next for humanity, too. I think there's a hopefulness that is really inspirational right now. And honestly, it's just something I really need to hear because... This year has been kind of rough between potentially starting World War Three <laughs> at the at the very beginning of the year. We There's so much of the world hope. that's depressing right now. We so could. yeah, we could use some hope. I think the series is fantastic, and it's also hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I think is uh, you know a great successor to the tradition of Carl Sagan. Unfortunately, Cosmos is no longer on Netflix. It was there for quite a while, but you can check out some clips on YouTube. It is worth renting a couple episodes, maybe maybe by a season. I, I think it is so hopeful and so perfect. And you can check out the new season on National Geographic next week. Stay tuned after this for our interview with the co-creator of Cosmos, Andrea. Ryan. And that's it for the show this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. 
Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra and I podcast about movies and TV at SlashFilm.com. Just search for the Slash Filmcast at your podcast app. If you have smart things to say and want to discuss things with me, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts and feedback at podcastandengadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. And now for our interview with Anne Dryan, the co-creator of Cosmos alongside her husband, Carl Sagan. She was also the creative director for NASA's Voyager Interstellar message. So if you've heard about the golden disks that are on Voyager 1 and 2, Voyager 1 is currently the furthest man-made object in the universe. She spearheaded that whole project. She's also won plenty of awards, Peabody Awards. She She's an author. She has written quite a bit. And I don't think there's anyone else around right now who can talk about science and the hopeful aspects of it like her. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Annie. Uh, I guess my first question for you is, what is the main theme of Cosmos for this season, season three? This season, Possible Worlds, is based on my belief that we have what it takes to get to a really exciting future. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I base my belief on the stories of the courage of our ancestors, the generations of searchers for truth who have been willing to die to stand up for what they believed was was true, as well as the great migrations of uh, the generations that came before us. You know, as Carl and I wrote earlier, we humans are capable of greatness We all live in the long shadow of climate change Mm -hmm. and other environmental depredation. But I believe that we can get to a much better future. And I think the key to that is taking what science is telling us to heart, not keeping it as just a collection of amazing facts that you compartmentalize and experience maybe for a couple of minutes or during a class, but instead a way of seeing absolutely everything. And just to finish up, you know, this is this season is also about the consciousness of other beings, mm-hmm. including those with whom we share the planet, that science has only made us aware of, you know, in the very recent decades. And so it's a kind of awakening, I hope, to the glory of life on Earth, as well as the potential we have to be good, strong links in the chain of generations and to protect it for the next ones. Well, thank you so much for that. That is a wonderful response, actually. And I'm wondering, too, yeah, from your perspective, are you feeling a greater sense of urgency with the show and the message you're trying to communicate now in 2019, actually 2020? I keep forgetting that. Um, but, you know, the effects of climate change are becoming harder and harder for us to avoid and prevent. Right. Yeah. Are, are right. you feeling more urgency now with the show? Of course. Of course I do. And remember that in the first season of Cosmos that we were writing in 1978, mm-hmm. um, we were warning about inadvertent climate modification. And, you know, it's kind of daunting. Because Carl and Steve Soder, who wrote that first season with us, 
uh, they had been warning about greenhouse gases building up in the atmosphere for decades before that. And so, of course, I feel a tremendous urgency. Uh, it's the fires, the floods. Mm -hmm. It's the strange uh, temperatures. It's the warming of the oceans. Carl and I wrote a, a piece about the warming of the world three or four decades ago. Yeah, related to that first question, I do feel a general sense of uh, hopefulness in the season. Has that changed at all for you, just that perspective of how you're positioning the show compared to even when this most recent edition began in 2014? It, you know, the world has changed a lot since then, and it feels like we've lived yes. decades since 2014. But I, I'm feeling yes. a very yes. Yes, specific response there. Yes. Sometime after 2014, we fell down a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. and we've been in that rabbit hole ever since. It is the wackiest time in my entire life i have <laughs> never felt so completely astonished by the just the fantasy and fiction and lying that mm -hmm. seems to be uh just our daily that's our our routine here and um so that's why i felt the urgency of cosmos more than ever because it does matter what's true. I mean, not absolute truths. We don't claim we have them. Sure. sure. But but just, you know, uh, a methodology for getting yeah. at the truth. Verifiable truths, yeah. Verifiable tr aspects of reality. Mm -hmm. And we went off that track several years ago. And, I, you know, how of all times to be in this position when the acceptance and embrace of reality is critical to our future. If we don't face squarely the challenges of climate change, the way our forebears faced the horrors that they were exposed to and then rose to those occasions and did their best and fought through terrible hardship, we don't even want to make tiny changes in our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, that's the whole thing to me that I can't, I can't really get over is that we don't seem to be able to get to wrap our brains around reality. Mm -hmm. So every day we're reading about mass species death. We're reading about giant blobs in the ocean that kill all the life there because it's so much warmer than it should be. We're seeing whole parts of Australia consumed by fire tornadoes. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's straight out. Of, it really feels biblical mm -hmm. in the the floods and the fires and all of these scourges, and yet some of the most powerful people on the earth pretend that it's not happening. Now, if that's not terrifying, mm -hmm. but I understand <laughs> that you can't just. You know, if you're making television, you can't just shake people by the shoulders yeah. and slap them and say we're all going to die. You know, because <laughs> that's not helpful. And so because for so long, our most popular entertainment is so dystopic, so uh, apocalyptic, uh, so sad in the sense that it doesn't really imagine a future that isn't dirtier and more limited and more 
impelled than what we have now. And I think some of the stories in this show, some of the never before told stories in the show can really inspire you to, um, to feel hopeful because of the, the hard times we come through. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I followed your career for so long. I really respect your work as a communicator. Um, I, that's kind of what I try to do with the ways of breaking down technology, kind of what you've done with science. Um, is yeah. communicating harder today, like communicating that truth and telling the story harder when it does seem like, yeah, it is harder for um, for actual truths to be understood by the public or at least by people in charge? Like it, it's it seems like a very curious time we're in. It is curious. I'll be the first to second that one. But I think in some ways it's so much better mm-hmm. because, you know, the amount of information at our fingertips in our phones is dazzling. You know, I wish Carl had lived to see how it would be possible oh, to yes. pose any question and then to be able to to really pursue the answer without even going to the library um, you know, I just feel like there's there's a lot of stuff working in our favor. As a Russian poet named Yevchenko said, you know, it's not that there are not enough good people in the world. It's just that we don't have each other's phone numbers. Well, that was true 40 years ago when he said that to me. But now <laughs> we really do have each other's phone numbers. And the work that you're doing, uh, the podcasts that reach so many people and inspire them, is really exciting because, you know, the, there are so many different platforms mm-hmm. to to express our opinions. And people always complain about, you know, the dreadful things that are happening online and stuff. But I feel like that was always, you know, in all human communication, there was always that aspect to it. But here's an opportunity for someone who really wants to learn mm-hmm. to to have access to information. And uh, I'm very excited about that. And we also have the means to communicate with each other that is decentralized in a very exciting way. Oh, definitely. I feel the same way. Um, back to the show, though, I'm, I'm wondering, how are you keeping up with recent discoveries? Because it does seem like every time, every week, we're, we're making very major discoveries that can kind of reshape what, you, what you've already told in Cosmos before. Absolutely. And that's why we're somewhat conservative in Cosmos, and mm-hmm. we always have been, in that we're not we're not ever or rarely, I think, covering the flavor of the month. Because we want, you know, the test of time to winnow out the chaff, the stuff that turns out not to be true. My writing partner, Brandon Braga, who is just really a, a big part of this whole process, mm-hmm. you know, he and I call stories, ideas, scientific papers. Uh, Andre Bormanis uh, is also a, a, a tremendous source of, of information for us, and he's sitting with us much of the time. And then there are also stories that uh, that I've wanted to tell for decades. Uh, for instance, um, the story of Vila mm-hmm. in episode uh, 304, which you haven't seen yet. But which I, you know, I wanted to tell for 22 years. And we were able to, you know, the great thing about Cosmos at this point is that we can attract Viggo Mortensen 
<laughs> to be the voice of Vladimir. We can attract the brilliant director and producer behind Anomalisa to do stop action mm -hmm. animation so that the characters really begin to have a kind of humanity that is, you know, really transcends animation in my, in my view and drama. And we get to tell the story of a dozen people who made, I think, one of the most remarkable sacrifices in human history. And you've never heard of them. I mean, these are people who had a vision of the future that was so important to them, our future, that 75 years ago, 80 years ago, they were all willing to die horribly to protect that vision. That's what inspires me because it gives me the sense that we can do this, mm -hmm. that we have what it takes, that there are those among us capable of such discipline and, and vision and understanding and strength and unselfishness that we can get, we can get through this period of our technological adolescence when we have been given very powerful toys to play with, mm -hmm. but we've yet to adopt the, the wisdom and to internalize the wisdom necessary uh, for anyone who would, who would toy with such powers. Well, I'm looking forward to catching up on all that. Uh, my final question for you, I, I've read about your experience in school and kind of the things that turned you off from math and science. And I have to say, I experienced some of those as well. Really? Are you, yeah, yeah, it's it's not great. Are you positioning Cosmos and kind of all of your work as sort of like a response to that, as like the message to the kids who may not be engaging with science? But if you look at this episode of Cosmos or, you know, something you've written that could inspire them into a career in this Absolutely. field? That's, uh, you know, and that was true for Carl as well, who had a wonderful experience with math and science in school. And, you know, just sailed through all of his advanced degrees, with, uh -huh. uh, you know, effortlessly, it seemed. But we both met at a place where we were madly in love with the revelations the way the revelations of the universe that science can bring us and nothing else, nothing else we know of can make that possible so that you can really know, you can predict the future as the climate scientists did. Mm -hmm. You can, and as the engineers and astrophysicists did for every one of the great space missions in which a rendezvous with a planet or moon 10, 15 years in the future was what was needed. I don't think you have to have been such an alienated uh, science or math student as I was to have that feeling that you want to share this power with as many people as possible. Because if you believe in democracy, you, you know that at the more widely distributed that power is, the better chance we have of making informed decisions, of actually participating in the, in the political life of our society and sounding the alarm. So yes, I came at it from a completely different place than Carl came, mm -hmm. but we both felt that, you know, that feeling of wanting to share with as many people as possible the great joy that we knew 
because of because of the generations of science. This was a great chat. Thank you very much. And good luck with the premiere of the show. It's uh, it's excellent from what I've seen Thank so far. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. Thank you. All right. Have a good Bye-bye. night. Bye.